everyone, and welcome. This is episode 263 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. Uh, back after a Thanksgiving break, and predictably, as we kind of guessed, the Brewers did something significant right around the holiday, and uh, we just kind of took the time to to let it simmer a bit. And wouldn't you know it, by the time we got ready to do this week's podcast, they made another move that made the first one make a lot more sense. So we're going to talk about that. Lots of questions about that. But first, uh, whole gang is here, Paul and Ryan. Uh, Paul, how, are you, how have you been in the in- interim since we last spoke? Oh, fine. Very, very busy. Going all over the place, all over the Midwest. Children getting sick repeatedly. All kinds oh, of fun man. stuff. So we're fine. You know, <laughs> Packers won. Uh, going yeah. into the bye week, got a nice win. Not t- not dead yet. Still not dead. Uh, not dead yet. Te- technically yeah. speaking, still alive. So still dead in a moment. But yes, yeah, yes. Ryan, how have you been? Yeah, uh, my life's very boring compared to Paul's. But that's what happens <laughs> when you don't have children. So yeah, very very boring by comparison. <laughs> and you know what? I'll take that over what's been going on for you. The interesting times curse is uh, that's a real one. That that gets you. Yeah, yeah. Much less vomit and, and more free choice when uh, you don't have kids. And yep. uh, mm-hmm. Ryan and I actually met up in Madison on, on Black Friday for, for a beer. So that nice. was nice to see you, see you guys in person again. So, yep. uh, yeah, been a good good couple of weeks. And we've got a lot of Brewers news to talk about. Lots of questions about the the trades happening uh, since we last spoke. But first, as a reminder, if you'd like to help support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That gets you the question priority here on all of the podcasts on the network, including the next episode of reporting as eligible post bears win. So there you Mm. go. Uh, Five bucks a month. You get that question priority plus some exclusive podcasts, including the reporting as eligible mini pods to preview every week's game. And the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. And you guys uh, did one just in time talking about some of the new prospects coming into the system. Mm-hmm. Yep, we did that. And we also uh, revisited some some things. I think this was our longest minor league extra on record. It went basically an hour and a half. We, for wow. some reason, started talking about the 2016 draft in detail and actually then came <laughs> up with a, uh, a thing we're going to do to kind of have fun and, and kill some time. Uh, over the winter here, we're going to do something with a draft draft. So there will be something about that. But man, you go back and look because <laughs> the reason the 2016 thing came up was Corey Ray got uh, his minor league free agency was granted and and he's going to be gone now. And so that right. closes the book on that. And he was the Brewers highest pick since Ryan Braun uh, as the fifth overall pick in 2016. But man, if you look at that draft, it's not like they were missing out on a lot of a lot of other stuff. I mean, obviously there are guys behind him that have made the major leagues and have had something of an impact. But if you look at what's right behind him in that draft, uh, it's a lot of junk. It really is. And not Jansen junk. No, not Jansen junk. Not Jansen junk. If I if I may give a quick plug to James's employer, RotoWire. Um, mm. I need college targets to put wide receiver OPS together and. Reference does not carry that statistic. Um, Rotowire is the best carrier of that statistic in a sortable, good, exportable format, and I use it every time I run it. So um, they, they do a nice job with some of the stats you can't get elsewhere. Yeah, and I'll throw out there too that I am a, a paying member of Rotowire as well, and that uh, if you are a person who does dynasty, either in football or baseball, especially baseball is the one I'm mainly interested. In, but I I joined a football dynasty league this last year, and if you're doing that, it is indispensable. 
It is absolutely super useful. And uh, the detail that they have on prospects, that's James gig there is writing up the baseball prospects. And he's working generally off of a list of about 500 prospects and manages to keep that all up in the air somehow um, year round. It's it's absolutely remarkable what he does. And he's one of the most respected voices in baseball prospecting. So um, especially from a fantasy angle, like you won't find people that are more highly respected than him when you're talking about it from a fantasy angle. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a well, well worth your money. And definitely worth your money to listen to the minor league extra too, because of that. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, remember patreon.com slash MKE tailgate um, and patrons get question priority. So we, we have a ton of Patreon questions here on this podcast too, uh, because of the trades, as we mentioned, since we did this last, the brewers made everyone mad by trading Hunter <laughs> Renfro away for three pitchers. Uh, the aforementioned Jansen junk, Elvis Pagero and Adam Seminaris. So at least they got three good names back. Uh, I'm going to laugh at Jansen junk forever. It will never yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it, it just played right into the they traded rent for, for junk headlines. And there you go. Um, but then following that up, they traded away Colton Wong for Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro. So, of course, Jesse Winker, a, a name well known to Brewers fans. We'll see how he does when he can't hit against Adrian Hauser, <laughs> at least presumably. Um, but let's just break down these two trades Uh one by one. So let's go back to the Renfro trade and uh, specifically talk about the return here. So Ryan, let's start with you. Um, I know there, there was some like, you know, complaining about getting three, maybe reliever ish guys in return, but what's your take on the return for Hunter Renfro one year of Hunter Renfro, I should add. Yeah. So, and I think that is very important to mention first of all, and it's, it's one year of Hunter Renfro making 11, something million probably and so it's not you're not like getting cheap renfro you're getting kind of a a little bit under market price renfro so you're not trading away a ton of surplus value there um but if you look at it i would say both jansen junk and adam seminaris have a chance to start or at least be swingmen um if you kind of look at what the the profiles are there Junk has sort of an assortment of stuff, including some junk that he can throw. <laughs> and well, thank you. And uh, so uh, the the fastball velocity is not great. Uh, 35th percentile in that. But the fastball spin is high. And you know the Brewers love that. Seminaris is an interesting one from the perspective of what... And I, I mentioned this on the other podcast, so I'll just briefly go over it. But um, the, the comments that... Uh, that Eric Longenhagen made last year when he ranked him 18th in the, the angel system uh, was that lefties who are this athletic and who have a changeup of this quality tend to overachieve. And it, that kind of made me sit up and take notice and, and immediately start to think, and, and other people have brought this up too. immediately start to think like, does he have some Brent Suter in him? Is there that? And you never want to project a Brent Suter. That's a bad idea. It's kind of like the the low rent version of trying to project a Greg Maddox. Like there was a rule at Baseball America where they said, don't ever comp anybody to Greg Maddox because there's just one Greg Maddox. So just don't even do it. Um, but you can think of this as kind of like the the lefty swingman sort of equivalent. Like if you can get a guy like that and if it can work out, then you know, there's potentially some value there. Um, switching to Paguero, he is a true reliever and he will be a, a relief pitcher. And what's interesting about him is the really high invest fastball velocity. Um, 
89th percentile for fastball velocity. So the guy is up there throwing it in the high 90s on a consistent basis. Low spin fastball, though. Um, but he does set that off with a uh, a good slider. And so I think the the big thing takeaway here, if you want to be optimistic about this return for these guys, is the Angels have sort of a longstanding problem of getting the most out of their pitchers. And the Brewers have a longstanding sort of gold star next to their name at this point in terms of bringing in pitchers and generally getting uh, good uh usage out of them doesn't always work but especially the guys that like trade for in the offseason they've done a pretty good job with those guys in general so if you want to be optimistic about it i think that probably you know you're none of these guys is going to be a star you you would be pretty surprised if that is what happened but in terms of trying to get use out of them i would imagine we will see all three of them pitch in the big leagues this year and that at least one if not two of them will probably end up being useful pieces for them, at least for a short period of time. Sure. I have nothing to add to Ryan prospect-wise because I <laughs> don't have anything to add to anything but anything prospect-wise. I'll just say that I don't think you can judge this one specifically in a vacuum because um, we'll get to the whole shebang of trades, but they're worse without Hunter Renfro, who's a good hitter, um, and they have um, you know added Winker, who has his he's, he's got some pluses and minuses, but um, you only had Hunter Renfro for one more year maximum. And uh, this is a Brewer MO thing, a smart team MO thing to, you know, get some value back, some long-term value while you still can. Uh, you buy some potential, you buy some depth. And, you know, that there's value in that, especially long-term. And it's not like Hunter Renfro is the, the greatest player ever. You gave away a solid bat from your lineup, but he is a good, not great player. So, um I think when we see what happens in the rest of the off season and whether they, you know, go and buy some more and improve themselves a little bit, um, this may look like a, a savvy depth play going forward. And, uh, um, you know, I know people didn't like it in a vacuum. The angels don't have a great system. They don't necessarily have great pitchers. People like Hunter Renfro. Um, but I, I think you gotta wait and see whatever, what they do with the rest of their resources for the offseason before we really judge this one, because if they come back to start the year and they're more or less um, at the war level that they were at the start of last year, but they've added a bunch of depth from these trades, then it's going to look like a win. So it just uh, I think a lot hinges on what they do before the rest of the offseason ends. Yeah, it's particularly on the money side of things where it fundamentally here they cleared about eleven million dollars in salary and we don't know what they're going to do with it yet. So yeah. if we, they put it in the bank, then we can complain about the fact that they did that. But if they go out and right. actually use it, that's a different story. Right. And exactly what level that is. So at the moment, they are uh, somewhere around 110 to 115 million yeah. for opening day payroll for this upcoming year. And compare that to last year's 133 million opening day payroll. They definitely have room to be able to spend here in in the winter and you have to assume they're going to spend at least some of it like they're not going to completely sit idly by and not add some payroll here it, it really comes down to a question of who and for how much is yeah. what the the big question is absolutely and you know with Renfro I feel like there was a lot of hand wringing about oh this is the best return the Brewers could get for their first or second best hitter but you know, a lot of the issues with the Brewers were that Hunter Renfro was their first or second best hitter. Very, right? very true. Like context wise, 
he's good, but he's not great, and he's not somebody you should be building your offense around in the first place. Well, right. and also, he's just a corner bat, and we've seen how adroitly they have just taken those guys off the scrap heap over and over and over and over again since Stearns and Arnold showed up here and how they have just turned and burned those guys and have gotten so many good performances as far as you know, home run power numbers out of a corner. And Renfro just is another name to add to that list with Avisil Garcia going all the way back to uh, to Chris Carter in 2016. Like they just <laughs> right. do this over Eric and over. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, we could sit here and name guys for five minutes. Like it's they just do this very, very well. And probably did it again in this next trade so we should probably talk about that yeah yeah there's there's a reason why the national reaction to the hunter renfro trade was pretty much just a giant meh you know like they treat hunter renfro as a platoon corner bat and you get three relievers for him okay fine whatever um but yeah going hand in hand with that trade then they basically swapped out hunter renfro for jesse winker now so you know after it kind of being rumored that Colton Wong may be on the move. It was heavily rumored in the week before it actually happened and uh, actually went to the, a team where he was rumored to. So that's kind of a shock on on my end. I'm not used to that happening with Brewers players, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Col- Colton Wong's in Seattle now uh, coming off a down year, but it's still a really good offensive second baseman. He should help them out there. But Jesse Winker, uh, not exactly a defensive whiz. Abraham Toro, a little bit more so, and uh, less bat with Toro than with Winker, obviously. Uh, so I guess, Paul, with, with that in mind, as you said, uh, not taking one trade in a vacuum, but looking at these together, uh, I guess your thoughts on adding Jesse Winker, and is he an upgrade, really, over Renfro? So let's start with, he's definitely not an upgrade over Renfro. I, I shouldn't say definitely, but... Um, Renfro, I think, brings a little bit higher floor because he is actually a pretty good defensive player. He, like, he's not a super great defensive player, but he's got a gun. He can play right field, uh, and he actually covers ground pretty well. Like His defensive stats are pretty good. Um, Jesse Winker can and has in the past been a better hitter once in a, once in a while. Um, he was not particularly good last year, unfortunately. And uh, we'll get to this, but there are makeup concerns with Jesse Winker as well. Um, so uh, we'll get to that more, but I think that does play into um, his his ability to bounce back maybe a little bit too. Um, so it's a it, it's a totally Brewer buy. It is a, a you know he's a good bat. Um, he, he he doesn't really fit in the lineup that well with how many outfielders they have. He'll probably he's a good DH buy. I suspect um, he can suck it. He's got good power. Um, he, he can serve as a platoon bat if you need him to. Um, and yep, yeah, he's fine, but he's got some warts that we should talk about. Um, I can bring them up if you know. Um, there have been reports that Jesse Winker is uh, a bit of a jerk, uh, a bit of a swear. I have lots of swear words. I want jerks to not use one of them. Uh, a hole. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, a reports um, that I pulled up and then, of course, opened too many tabs on uh, from Ryan Divish, who on. Seattle Sports on the radio just listed a, a a litany of things Jesse Winker did allegedly that did not sit well with his teams, um, and especially around work ethic, which I think is the most concerning one. Lots of guys are jerks, but uh, guys who aren't working hard at getting better, especially after they have a down season, I think are concerning. So um, Jesse Winker maybe has a little attitude on him. 
and uh, is coming off of a kind of crappy year. So worried about that. That's, I think, my biggest single worry with him is he doesn't play defense and he might be kind of lazy. He's probably overstating it, but maybe maybe not the, the, the uh, hardest worker in the clubhouse. Yeah, I'm going to come back to those things in a moment because they are real concerns and I think we do have to pay attention to them. But there's some mitigating things that make them less of a concern given the exact circumstances of this. But getting back to what he actually is as a player, uh, I think that the biggest need that the Brewers had coming into this year, into this offseason, was they needed more credible middle-of-the-order bats. And they definitely did subtract one in Renfro. But I think that in terms of potential impact, uh, Renfro does offer, you're right, a, a higher floor. But I think Winker does unquestionably offer a higher ceiling than what Renfro has. Uh, in 2020, uh, which granted short season, so it was 183 played appearances, so not super long, um, Winker put up a 142 WRC+. plus. I mean, he hit 255, 388, 544, put up absolutely like really good numbers. I don't know, like a 42% above the league average. That is, it's not MVP level, but it's like uh, starting an all-star game level, sort of uh, offensive profile. And then he actually bettered it in 2021. He did, he did. With a 147 WRC plus, 305, 394, 556. And, and I think- Before we, people bring up the small park, which he did play in at the time, he did have a 135 DRC plus there. So those numbers were legit. They were not just a factor of Cincinnati being an easy place to hit. Yeah. So it, it and it definitely does help. The the ball does fly out there, especially to right field, because of that notch they have in their in their uh, upper deck for some strange reason. But it is he was a legitimately really good hitter, and so I think that from that perspective, they did gain potentially a bigger bat than they lost. Uh, they also just gave up, you know, more certainty in Renfro. But I think that the the number one thing here to to remember is that, again, we're talking about one years of both of these guys. And that's going to be my main thing. Like, you do worry about the comments from him. Um, you're getting rid of a guy who, like, in this transaction, you're getting rid of a guy who, by all accounts, is a fantastic clubhouse guy in Colton Wong, who is beloved by his teammates, to going for Jesse Winker, who is not. And I think that you there has to be some level of concern about that, but some reasons to think that it might not be such a, a bad idea. Number one, you're committed to him for one year. If he turns out to be the biggest a-hole on earth and is actually hurting things and is not providing more than what uh, he is worth in terms of you know headaches, you cut him, you, you release him, you trade him, whatever. You, he, you can just get rid of him. And that's fine. So there's that. Also, now that this is out in the public, and now that uh, specifically he is headed to free agency, it would behoove him, if he's not a complete moron, to try to be better, <laughs> to try to uh, to make amends for those <laughs> things. Because he has some serious coin riding on his personal reputation right now going forward so it would it would right. be in his best interest to keep his uh his behavior uh on the level here so that's another big thing and also i think that we we've talked about this before but like one of the advantages of having a manager like Craig Council who is 
widely praised for being able to do a good job handling the clubhouse. And aside from the, the, the stuff that went on this year in the second half with the bullpen, which really wasn't his doing, that wasn't, didn't have to do with him. Um, I think that he has a pretty, I would say almost unblemished record in that factor. One of the advantages of having a guy like that available to you is that you can maybe take on a project (laughs) in terms of something like this and hope that, that can be smoothed into the the overall uh, thing here. Think about it the way that like uh, Dennis Rodman, and I'm not comparing <laughs> Winker to Rodman, but like oh, Jesus. <laughs> but think about the idea that you you have a coach who's renowned for being able to handle players and really to relate to them. Yeah. Okay. And so there's an advantage to that that if you if you have a coach like that giving them a project every once in a while who can maybe they can draw more value out of isn't necessarily a bad idea. Now, and again, there's there's very little stakes here because if they need to get rid of him, they could just get rid of him. But yeah, that's I think all of those things come into play, but it is it is a concern. Like you don't like to do it. You would rather it didn't happen, but there that that he you didn't hear these things about him that he was, you know, not regarded this way but i think you can probably work your way around it and especially if he has a good year i think some of this can be like winker had a bad year this year for the for the mariners yeah Yeah. it's a bad park for him he's frustrated and pissed off all the time yeah yep and so hopefully if you can get a good year out of him he's happier things go well and then you can say sign r to him at the end of the year and it's fine (laughs) right like that's hopefully the way all this goes that's yeah that's the hope with him and I'm sure that's what they're betting on. The other worry I do have, though, is his specific kind of red red flag here. Um, it's one thing to be a jag. Like, that is that is a thing people can deal with. Uh, I do worry about him uh, down here entering his age 29 season, not, not over the hill, but getting to the point where decline can set in a bit. Um, lack of work ethic, I think, can hurt you worse uh, where he is than... Um, you know, if he was a younger guy, if he's, you know, 25, 26, you can just sort of play through a lot of stuff then, you know, um, you got to you got to work for the old man times and he's not there yet, but he's getting there. So I, I do just wonder, it does affect my my perception of his ability to bounce back. I downgrade it just a hair from what it otherwise would be like. Uh, normally I see this and I'm like, oh, regression of the mean is going to pick him right back up, especially if the ball picks up smaller park, all that jazz. But uh, that red flag just makes me pause a little bit like eh, probably all that stuff. But there's at least some chance that he's just going to, um, you know, not get better. Right. Sure. And OK, so along all these lines, we do have some Patreon questions that we should get to. Adam Post asking, I was quite excited when I read the initial reports of Wong being traded for by candidates Winker and Toro. However, since reading a handful of quotes about Winker's clubhouse presence slash work <laughs> ethic, I'm a little concerned. The Brewers seem to normally factor in how players will affect the clubhouse, just how con- concerned should we be about him destroying the clubhouse? So we kind of touched on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan mentioned that Craig Council's a really good players manager but you know by all accounts too scott service not shabby in that department up in seattle so paul are you at all worried about the chemistry stuff i don't worry so much about it destroying the clubhouse as much as i worry about its effect on the individual itself um it takes a lot to destroy a clubhouse like that's that's a rare feat for somebody to pull off not impossible but um that's that's not what i'm looking for here I, i just think 
we should factor it into the bounce back percentage, but like the rest of the brewers will be fine. That, that's not going to like destroy whatever they have going on chemistry wise at all. It's they're, they're professionals. It, it, it has an impact, but it's going to be minimal unless he's just a, a huge jag was waltzing through the locker room, like being, <laughs> being aggressively annoying, but that's not what we're looking at here. Yeah, I'm complete with Paul on this. The concern is more about how it affects him individually as opposed to how it affects the team. Because if it's affecting the team negatively, uh, they'll just get rid of him. So I'm, I think the yeah. downside there isn't such a big deal. Yeah, he's one of 26 guys at the end of the day, right? So, I mean, the other guys can just ignore him. You know, we all, or a lot of us may have had coworkers where uh, there was that one annoying person and you just kind of annoy or ignore that yeah, person. Exactly. <laughs> move along with your day and don't let it affect your own work, right? All right. Price Trozen, next question. Do you think, think a fresh start in Milwaukee gives Winker a little PMA bo- boost, meaning positive mental attitude? Best said in a Matt Foley voice. I do not have. <laughs> <laughs> my van down in the river uh voice on but uh paul you know uh amfam great park for a hitter like jesse winker right absolutely yeah uh he and R- ryan made the point too like he's got money at stake here the, the the other thing you can count on with guys who are a little bit more mercenary is what does sometimes drive them is oh crap i need to get paid time to you know you can make your if let's say you're not a natural like a gym rat good worker or whatever a lot of those guys can be for a year when millions of dollars are at stake. And so you also do sure not on that. That's, mm-hmm. that's legit. Contract so, year. That's contract a year. Contract yeah. year does matter. And um, the park and contract year and, uh, you know, Jesse Winker wanting to better his situation, even if it's just to slack off later, uh, will probably improve his performance. So, yeah, that's real. That is absolutely real. And he also has like a OPS well in excess of 1000 at, uh, AmFam, and that's mostly playing against good Brewers pitching. Like that's Adrian Hauser. that is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, and yes, like Adrian Hauser was his own personal whipping boy. I get that. Like that's, <laughs> I, I get that. But like he he has also uh, you know faced other Brewers pitchers and done a reasonably good job against them. A lot of people like hitting into that hitting background. Their their hitters will swear by it and say just love hitting at that park because you can see the ball really well out of the pitcher's hand. And hopefully that's the case here with him. Absolutely. All right. Next question about this trade comes from our friend Jay Google asking, trading away one year of Wong for Winker and Toro seems like a win, right? Toro can play both third and second. So, Ryan, that kind of factors in too, right? Uh, Toro can kind of be that utility guy. Uh, useful in a couple of spots, right? Yeah, and I think that's what they are planning here. And there is this long history of, so the Astros always thought they were going to be able to get something out of Toro and that the hitting breakout was just around the corner on him. And they finally gave him up to get Kendall Graveman at the deadline in 2021 uh, and kind of gave up on that dream. But I think it still sort of remains And he's only 25 years old at this point. So last year was his age 25 season. So there's still some time here, hopefully for a breakout. And there are some indicators like his overall numbers. The last few years have not been good. He had a 688 OPS in, uh, in 2021 and a dreadful 563 this last year. But if you look at his, his deserved runs created, those numbers are a bit better than what you would maybe expect them to be. Um, and, also, these are in relatively small samples, too. Like, we're talking about, you know, not not massive samples. 
So I think that if you look at like he was DRC plus had him as being 5% better than the league average um, true talent in 2021, even though, you know, he was putting up a 688 uh, uh, OPS. And then uh, this last year it was they had him as being only 12% below the the, uh, park adjusted league average. And that was with a 563. So you hope that maybe something breaks through with the bat at some point. Um, but they are also in a position where they're by no means counting on it. They have Mike Brousseau to basically play the same positions and offering the same sort of like lefty masher sort of profile that you're hoping for. If, if everything works out with Toro, that's kind of what he becomes. So they've sort of built redundancy into the system here. And I think that you don't really have to necessarily like count on him, but if you do get a breakout from him, then you're in a position to take advantage of that. And that's where they like to be. Yeah. So the Brewers also had, you know, a kind of a stockpile of talent of middle infielders, right? Where they could kind of deal from that position of strength, uh, you know, move on from Colton Wong a year early. You could plausibly move Urias to second base. You've got Bryce Terang waiting in the wings, right? So, kind of helps you, Paul, right? Like backfill some of those outfield or middle of the lineup concerns with Winker too, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, if if nothing else, this is a savvy move for the Brewers, just recognizing their weaknesses. And that's always nice to see. I feel like in the offseason, we do start to sometimes get, we, we, we question whether they're dumb, whether they have lost their ability to make good decisions. Um, and if nothing else, they they identify like we need we need some pop. We actually need this to you know we need guys to actually give us a credible offensive lineup. This is that, and they might do more of it, but they at least recognize what they need. So, you know that that's good to see. Michael Hank has our next Patreon question asking: Jesse Winkers must be the DH plan, right? Or is he this year's McCutcheon, the DH that plays in the field way too much so they don't have to call up the kids? Uh, this is a good question. I know we we might have some other questions kind of asking about outfield alignment coming up too. But as we mentioned, uh, Jesse Winker is no Hunter Renfro in the outfield. So, Paul, do you see him taking mostly DH at-bats or left field or what do you think? It is a good question. And uh, I do wonder who's going to end up in right more than anything. Uh, they don't really uh, – Hunter Renfro is just the most natural right fielder. I admit Tyrone Taylor is probably the answer. But uh, the Brewers move people around a lot. They rest people in the DH. They put their first baseman in the DH. And so that's what will happen. It's not going to be the McCutcheon thing because at least McCutcheon could still play the field credibly, decently well. He actually ran well last year. He was a decent defensive outfielder, all things considered. He did play too much. You're right about that. He hit too much for sure. But uh, Winker's going to rotate through playing the outfield probably badly and DHing. Um, every so often as well, and other guys will do exactly the same thing, and they'll they'll rest and move guys around. But he's going to be a DH for a good amount of time, I think, because he is pretty brutal in the outfield. So they'll look to limit his impact there by by utilizing that as much as they can. And he had multiple surgeries this winter, right? Yeah, he had a neck and a leg, I think. He had a neck and a leg, and uh, so you could look at that a couple different ways and say, well, 
<laughs> that's bad, but also maybe uh, if they fixed something that had been a nagging problem for him, maybe you at least get a, a, a burst of uh, freshness out of him from uh, from the effects of those surgeries. Like, I think that the, the surgeries, the concerns from that are more like long term, but we don't have to worry about the long term for Winker. We're really just concerned about getting as much as we can out of him next year. And hopefully that bodes well for being able to do that. But I do agree that I think that he's going to see a decent amount of time at DH. And also, uh, if he does continue to be really bad in the outfield, days when he is playing in the outfield probably will get uh, subbed out quite frequently late in games for defensive replacements. And that's fine. There's, There's lots of ways to sort of mitigate bad defense. And the Brewers have been pretty good at being able to do that. And I think that they can... They can handle that. They can work that in. It's not ideal when you have multiple guys in the outfield where you're trying to mitigate bad defense, but um, we're yeah. okay for the Phillies. Right. Yes. And like, <laughs> that's a perfect example of this, that you could sort of get, you could sort of work around things. You can sort of do things to, to, to get around the, the major problems and at least mitigate the problems that come with that. And they should have on, on the positive side of this. Well, I'll leave that for after this this next uh, discussion. So. Yeah, and just to put details to that, it sounds like he had fairly minor knee surgery, like not an ACL or anything. It's just listed as a knee procedure. That's usually just cleaning stuff up. And then in his neck, he had a cervical disc bulge that needed surgery. That's probably more worrisome long-term than, than the knee thing. So that's worth keeping an eye on just to see if that maybe knocks him out every once in a while. Yeah, hopefully not until 2024 and beyond. Because sure. don't sure. think he's going to be here past next year probably not yeah no all right uh let's move on to other patreon questions about this so pj wessels is asking which trade surprised you more the renfro trade or the wong trade also which al west team do you want the brewers to trade with (laughs) next uh paul which one surprised you more um honestly the renfro trade uh there, there had been rumors about wong being moved for a while and so when that happened, I was like, well, those rumors were right. So no biggie. Um, and the Renfro trade wasn't that surprising. It was just a little more surprising than the Wong trade. <laughs> That's all. Um, but neither was terribly surprising. I wasn't surprised by that at all. A little surprised by the return, but I also don't know returns. So whatever. Um, and uh, I, a good question out there because you don't want to, tr- I guess the A's. Um, mm-hmm. I think. The A's John Murphy the might be on the move. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's my answer. Um, the A's have people that you might want, and uh, that's uh, that's my target. If I, I don't, I, the Angels just aren't. Unless you're getting one of the big guys, no, don't do that again. And I guess Seattle's fine, but yeah, they, go through the A's. They have some people that can help out. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to deal with Houston because they're also sharks. Yep. So yeah, yes, they are. Don't do that. Yeah, I mean, well, they don't have a GM right now, so maybe you just. You, con uh, the owner into something stupid. Yeah, he he makes a very good point about that because it is the owner that's essentially that's it's the owner and Jeff Bagwell are doing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, like that's yeah. what it is. So uh, that might actually be a mitigating factor. So maybe you do you target them for that. But I was going to say also the A's uh, because you know they have guys to trade, and I would like to see Murphy. I know James Anderson is also very much on that. Uh, that bandwagon, but yeah, the the Renfro trade was was surprising, but really not very much. We discussed it on here. We all talked about the fact that he could be a a a, a, a tender in trade. Like sure that was did. something that was 
well foreseen. So yeah, well, he expected really it. So yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, on the topic of Sean Murphy, I should note that as we record this on Sunday night, <laughs> he's still very close to being traded, but has not been traded. Uh, the Braves are not going to be the acquiring team, according to Mark Feinstein's. Uh, but the Cardinals are among the contenders here to replace Yachty. So that would suck. Um, Rays, Guardians and Red Sox also among the teams there. The Brewers are not mentioned, at least in that report. So that's kind of a bummer. But uh, yeah, he, he'd definitely be one. I know that's a name we've kind of talked about for a couple of weeks now too, uh, to try to solve the catching situation the Brewers have. All right. Next Patreon question comes from Ted Johnson saying with Wong long gone, do you see the Brewers targeting a third baseman to fill the void left by Aramis Ramirez since 2015 or roll with Urias and Brasso in the hot corner? Or will they continue to push around pegs, push round pegs into square holes, positionally speaking? Uh, Paul, your thoughts on what they do with third base now uh, with Wong out? I don't think that they target third baseman. We've talked on this podcast many times about how much the offensive profile of third baseman is overrated, generally speaking. We talk about them as the corners mm-hmm. and you know, kind of lump them with first baseman, but that's not true. Um, third baseman generally aren't as good as hit- at hitting as we think they are, and I think that the Brewers... They basically just leave everything open. The round peg square hole answer is probably the correct one. If there is a value bat that they can add that happens to play third base, they would jump on that in a second. I'm very confident. But I think that they're completely comfortable just going with platoons and a mishmash of guys who can man the hot corner, especially if they can also play up the middle and have some platoon value. So I do think they'll go with uh, with Brasso and... Uh, and Urias and uh, recently acquired people and just kind of do that unless somebody stump falls in their lap. Um, that's that, that's their MO, and I don't think that they, they, they target the position at all and will not start now. So I think that they have the flexibility to do it if, like Paul said, somebody falls into their laps, but I think they might be a little bit more aggressive. I think that you think they'll be on this. And the reason, well, first off, I think that they have options on everybody. So Brousseau has an option. Toro has an option. Terang obviously has all of his options still. Uh, so they have options on all of these guys to be able to send down. And if somebody does not do well in camp, like they can easily, you know, work around this and and shuffle some guys through and be able to cover for that. And I think that we know that they did like Justin Turner two years ago when he was a free agent after the Dodgers won that World Series and there was the whole Walker Bueller, haha, we were never worried about Milwaukee thing and all of that. But it did seem like the Brewers had genuine interest in him then. And Justin Turner's defense has fallen off and he is not the all around player that he was. But I think you might be able to sneak one more decent to good year out of his bat. Uh, last year, I think he was still 20% above the league average. You can check that. But he was he was still well above average with the bat um, for the, the offensive environment and for the fact that he plays in a, a very tough park to hit in. Uh, so I think that there is a, a possibility there. And then they would have to get creative in terms of late-inning substitutions to, to keep uh, the defense better down the stretch of games. But I think you could do that, and I think you could maybe squeeze one more solidly above average defense or offensive year out of that bat and so i think that that is a possibility and the last i saw the projections at fan graphs which have been low because 
I don't know if people have been paying attention, but like the market here so far, there's been a lot of contracts that have made people go, wow, that guy got that much. Like, right. It, it's, it's been a, 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 a seller's market in going on right now, which is often the case after a new CBA comes out. This is normal. Right. Um, but I think that if it does turn out to be what they were kind of thinking on fan graphs, it's a one year deal for like 16 to 18 million. And I think that would be right up the brewer's alley, right? They, they've yeah. made deals like that in the past very, very willingly because you're not getting into a long-term commitment. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, next question comes from Mark Podscarby asking what's or who's most likely to start opening day in the infield, Toro, Brasso, Terang, or other? Uh, Paul, who do you see on the opening day infield? Uh, um, of those three... Yeah, I'll go Brasso, but I'm not confident at all. I could see cases for all of them, um, but uh, I'll I'll go with old familiar just because I think that they're more likely to keep the youngins down, um, and I don't think Toro's good. So that, um, but but like I don't, <laughs> I, it's like thirty three, thirty three, thirty four. So I'm very sure. unconfident in that, and I think it'll be basically dependent on like. Usually spring training is just to get guys in shape and they know who they're going to actually play. Uh, I think this is a case where hot hands may dominate, which is not the usual. Well, hot hands will get the first shot probably, yes. right? Like Because, like I said, they have these options to be able to move pieces around. So chances are good that it would be hot hands unless they go and add someone. So I think... It, it might even come down to just like, is it a lefty starter or is it a that righty too, starter? That right. matters a lot. They, they start opening day uh, at the Cubs. So use that information as you will, whether it's what Hendricks or Stroman or somebody else. Yeah, it's probably going to be a right-handed starter in that case. Uh, you know, so I would go ahead and guess that you like Terang has a, uh, has a shot there. But yeah, Terang might not get the opening day nod just because... Uh, of you know w whatever manipulation is going on though manipulation yes got to work on his defense well there is a question coming up about that so i'll save that yeah. for then yeah okay yeah i don't think he's gonna gonna make that cut off but we'll see all right uh jay google asking what's the right field plan to start the season uh he wants to know the same thing you do paul <laughs> would they start more than one rookie in the outfield so i guess the question is uh garrett mitchell joey weimer both in the outfield I think it'll be Taylor to start. Um, sure. And after that, the, the kids can, that, that's the good thing. Like the veterans, like Yelich and Winker can only play left field. Um, Taylor can play all over, but uh, all the kids can play everywhere. So um, that's, that's the answer after a while, but it'll be Taylor to start. I think like, I'll be surprised if it's anybody else. Yeah. Has Jesse Winker has played some right field though. I don't want Jesse. His arm's not good, and he's bad at defense. So yeah, I'm sure no, he has. I yeah, I understand that. I'm just saying that like they could use that a little bit. Last year, uh, last year he was purely yeah. He hasn't played any notable amount of right field in a very long time. So yeah. and even then, it was it was minimal. Yeah, it's really just left field. He's actually more center field than right field in 2019. <laughs> now, there's a thought. Yeah, that's bizarre. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah. I, I think that the thing that you have is 
one, you have a bunch of young players. And I think that this is something I wanted to get into because really, if you look at this, the overall trade here, and you look at both trades together, one of the main things that they did was they traded from depth positions that they are very deep at in their system. Uh, they have guys behind these guys coming up who are young. They have young outfielders. They have a young middle infielder in Bryce Trang. They have guys who are coming up behind these guys that they kind of like downgraded. So like if you take it and you look at it, they like downgraded um, uh, from like Renfro to Winker or whatever. But they did that with the knowledge that their best prospects are coming up right behind that group of guys, which mitigates some of the downside there, right? Like they have they have other options they can turn to yeah. if this doesn't work the way they're hoping it does. So they've sort of they have a backfill plan here where they they've created depth for themselves at these positions through their farm system. And so they can afford to take like a downgrade for 2023 to bolster their their long-term outlook because they've got this this depth there. And I think that that's the main thing. Yep. I think you're right to say Tyrone Taylor is going to see a lot of time in both right field and center. Um, probably more right field at this point. Cause I think center field, they'll probably um, be bouncing guys around, but yeah, it's the fact that they have this depth was critical to them doing what they're doing right now. And I think it's probably the most under examined part of this. And I think part of it is because, Originally, when they traded Renfro, everybody was talking about how, well, now you're going to fill in those spots with all these these rookies. So let's talk about the rookies. And then when Winker came in, it was like, oh, OK, well, that actually takes care of that issue. So it's not such a big deal anymore. But in, in reality, the fact is that they're doing this and, and making these changes because they have such good depth at those positions from their farm system. Okay, our next question comes from Brady Steinberg asking another outfield question here. He says, how much longer before we start seeing Yelich transition into more of a DH first base role with some spot starts in left field? Um, Paul, maybe we see him a little bit more at DH if Jesse Winker's taking a lot of time at left? I think he's Yelich is a tricky one just because the bat's a problem and you, you kind of have to play him because of the contract and the star thing and whatnot. Um, but he doesn't fit anywhere. So I think the answer on Yelich is going to start to become uh, you put him where he does the least damage and where he gets the, you know, the most rest to keep him reasonably productive. I think that he will DH quite a bit more than he used to. I don't know if like, he seems like he should be a good first baseman. He's big and tall, but um, I'm not sure that there's, interest there and i'm not sure that's gonna happen but i think he's gonna see a lot of time at dh this year i think um they're going to be a little bit more savvy in protecting themselves from yelich if he doesn't turn it around and i don't expect he will and uh i i do think that they will not necessarily go out of their way to get him in the lineup and certainly not to get him into left where he's kind of a butcher no Wish Winker was a little better just for that reason. You can argue that Yelch is actually a better defensive player out there than he is. And uh, that might actually keep him around for anything. But yeah, he's going to start to see more rest time. Like Yelch also has old man injuries all the time. Like he has bad back all the time. He needs yep. more time in less, uh, you know, less stressful positions just to mitigate against that. Uh, so yeah, he's going to not be in the outfield as much as usual. Uh, I think it's more of next year. Uh, once they have all these young 
outfielders up and sort of breaking in and, and all of that. I think you see him transition to more of a DH first base role after this year. I think the fact that Winker is here means that he is going to chew up more of those DH at bats probably than Yelich will. And so I think it probably pushes him, if anything, back a little bit for this year. But it's definitely heading in that direction, right? Like he is going to be DHing, maybe be a first baseman down the road, but we're not there yet. And right now, first base is occupied by Tellez and yeah, DH. I think I think Winker gets the majority of those those plate appearances there. So uh, I think you'll see both of them in left field a, a pretty reasonable amount. But I doubt that you will see um, you're going to see Yelich get more than, I don't know, 30, 40 games at DH. That would surprise me. Sure. All right. Next question comes from Mark Podscarby. And this is the one you were talking about, Ryan. Uh, Mark says, if I'm not mistaken, the new rules for earning draft picks based on guys starting the year in the bigs is only for guys in the top 100. That is correct. And it is top 100 of the MLB pipeline list uh, of the uh, Baseball America list and the ESPN list for some reason. So those are the three that they're looking at. Sure. ESPN paid hundreds of millions of dollars to be included in that, I'm sure. Uh, so Mark's question here is, does this give Freilich a better chance at making the opening day roster over someone like a Tarang and or Weimer, since the Brewers would likely want to gain more team control over those two? So Ryan, your thoughts on that? Well, first off, uh, the thing you need to look to, and James Anderson brought this up and brought it to my attention on the minor league pod, uh, Look at who's on the 40 and who's not. Freilich is not. Terang is. That automatically gives uh, gives Freilich uh, less of a chance to make the opening day roster than Terang. Because you have to be on the 40 man to be in the big leagues. And Terang's already taken care of that. And Freilich doesn't need to go on the 40 man right away. So for starters, there's that. Uh, I think also beyond that, I think there's a decent chance that we don't have these top 100s yet. They have not been released, but both Terang and Freilich have made top 100s in the recent past. So it, it, in last year, they made top 100s. This summer, they made top 100s. Yep. So I think there's a pretty good chance that actually both of them end up on one of these top 100s at least. So I think that from that perspective, they're going to have the opportunity with both of those guys, specifically Terang and Freilich. Weimer's a little bit further behind. He only he had less time at, at AAA, and there's a little bit more doubt, and he's also not on the 40. So I think Weimer is is a notch below. I think if you went in order of likelihood of being on the opening day roster, I would give Terang a better than 50-50 chance. I would give Freilich a worse than 50-50 chance, and I would give... Weimer a pretty long shot chance of being on the opening day roster. Sure. Uh, you know, Paul, I know you're, you're not the big prospect guy, but I, I at least like to see, you know, something like this. Yeah. Like the prospect lists are subjective, but at least there's some incentive to have these guys start the year now. Right. Um, there, there, there is yes, but Ryan is still right. And they're not going to go out of their way to reorganize the 40 men. Just to sure specifically get um you know Freilich up sooner that's not going to happen <laughs> um and i would like to see him i kind of kind of like him but yeah that's that's the thing it, it'd be nice but that's not how it works 
Sure. All right. Uh, our last Patreon question this week comes from Lucroy's Suitcase. I love this name. <laughs> uh, for, first time uh, patron, I believe. So Lucroy's Suitcase asking, uh, as a fan who never experienced County Stadium, how would you rate it from a fan experience perspective? How does it compare to AmFam Field? Are there elements you wish they brought over to the new stadium? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, how does it rate and... Uh, what besides the giant mug should they have brought over? Uh, so that's not fair. That's that's the answer. Um, so w- while there may be nostalgic reasons to like County Stadium, it was not a great place to see a game for a few reasons. So it was fine. There's baseball going on. The bleachers were fun. Even had pretty good sight lines there. Um, but it, it had some old-timey problems. It had some posts in the way. It had some obstructive views. Um, and the weather was you know, we, we, I, I like the roof. I know some people don't, um, but uh, it was just very old timey. Not enough bathrooms. The the food is still bad at Miller Park, actually. So that's not actually a huge improvement. Um, food food was food was. You know what? Here's something that they should bring that they should have brought over. I got a good one, um, and I think that they do have this at a couple places in Miller Park. Though I couldn't tell you where they are or for sure if that's the case. There were a couple of restaurants at County Stadium where you could go. And you could get your hot dog or sausage of choice dipped in hot secret stadium sauce and then put on oh, the bun. Okay. And that is objectively better uh, as a way to consume secret stadium sauce than anything you could do now. Uh, it's not supposed to be cold. Like, that's the way it's supposed to work. So that's better. But, like, lots of stuff was worse. The audio system was hilarious at County Stadium. If you ever see a picture of County Stadium, there's this big tower of speakers in the outfield. And that's where <laughs> all of the sound came from for the whole stadium. And it was awful. Um, scoreboard was old-timey and hard to see things on. And But the mug was awesome. They should never have gotten I mean, I know why they got rid of the mug. You don't want to be advertising beer to children. But yes. on, the, on the other hand, also, you should have kept the mug. Um but, you know, big, expansive, old-timey park. Miller Park's a better place to see a game um, a thousand times over. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Uh, the roof is critical to that, to getting people out there in the, you know, months of, say, April and May. And then, like, in September, it is huge for actually getting people like my wife to be willing to sit there when it's, you know, <laughs> 55 degrees outside. And yeah. she would much rather not just be sitting in 55 degree temperatures or 50 or 45. So no, that's, that's critical. Sorry, Andy, but that it's right. That just, <laughs> I say, one, sorry, Andy. I'll say this. The one foul ball I've ever caught was at a County stadium uh, Brewers Cubs game. How did that happen? Um, they played the one year at County before in, they, in the they did. So yeah, yeah that, that's right. That's right. They did. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a torrential like wind and downpour off and on. Uh, and there was nobody there. I got a foul ball because there was like 400 people in the park. And so it was easy <laughs> because everyone that went into the into the stands, you could just run and pick up. So it was off the bat of Damon Buford, who was subbing for Sammy Sosa that day, who was having a day off because it was awful outside. Uh, and so <laughs> bad weather made it easier to get foul balls. That was good. But also that was miserable. And I don't relish the experience. Um, just going back for a second, because I did look it up to see where guys were. Uh, it looks like Freilich and Weimer both will probably be on top 100 lists this winter. We'll okay. see exactly. But they were on some midseason. Uh, Weimer was on the pipeline midseason, and it only did better after that. And 
Uh, Freilich was on the Baseball America Top 100. And I'm pretty sure Terang has been on those lists in the past, too. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, like he he has been on. I think Baseball America has always been pretty high on him, but it doesn't look like he was on the Baseball America mid-year update. But whatever. Point is, is that uh, I think they'll have sort of options on those guys to maybe do it. But I think mostly you have to look at what's on the 40 man. So anyway, yeah, the the stadium thing, uh, I, I like the park. It's good. It It is a very uh, solid utilitarian park from the, the perspective of it. It allows them to play baseball games in what can be a, a challenging climate to do so. Um, and it, it makes the experience reasonable most of the time the one thing you wish they would do is would have air conditioning in there but we would have been paying for that as taxpayers and i would rather not do that i can stand the heat for you know a a couple afternoons (laughs) a year it's fine sauna's good for you it's fine all right uh let's wrap things up with a couple of twitter questions this week first one comes from chet at chet gristle on twitter Here's the most obvious question of the night. With the DeGrom contract done, what are the chances that we can lock up Burns for $32 or $35 million a year? Or do those numbers just scare Brewers management away? Lots of Mets fans having a hard time uh, feeling spurned by Jake DeGrom. And now they know what it's like to be a Brewers fan. And Paul, I don't know. I, I'm, You know me. I love Corbin Burns, but I am not optimistic that they pony up $35 million a year for him. I don't think so. I would, I would say it's like under 10% that they do that kind of thing. Uh, it's just pitchers are such high-risk assets, and I don't think that the Brewers are going to lock up that much capital in a high-risk asset. I just don't think it's how they'll operate really ever. So, it, yeah, just probably not going to happen. I think that enjoy your time with Corbin. He will, when he gets the chance, get paid heavily by somebody else. Yep, I would agree with that. I I don't even think it was those numbers scaring away Brewers management. I think they knew what they were <laughs> much, looking at. Yeah. Much yeah. lower numbers, frankly, probably would have scared them away. And, yep. uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not that they shouldn't necessarily scare them away. We have seen Corbin Burns was really, really bad in 2019. It was. Yeah, you know, we're, we're looking at three good years, and one of them was a pandemic-shortened season and 2020 mm-hmm. at this point. So like how long the shelf life on Corbin Burns is, we know he has the home run issues. We know that's part of the profile. And so does that get past a tipping point at some point? It was, it was more so this year, 2021, obviously he was very good on that front, but there's some, there's some downsides here beyond just the normal, like regular pitcher downsides that you have to worry about. So, uh, and yeah, that DeGrom contract, I mean, Jacob DeGrom, Ooh if you include 2020 where he probably would have gotten over hundred innings, but it's 2019 was last year. He threw over hundred innings. It was actually like the last year he threw over like 80 innings. So yeah. it's it was... de- definitely risky. What the Rangers are doing here. They're yep. taking on a huge pile of risk to do that. And I think that it, it signals that uh, it, it's good for the players. They are getting paid right now. And uh, but it also then signals for the brewers that things get a little bit trickier in markets like this than when, you know, things are a little more constricted. It's yeah. just the way it is. Also worth mentioning that DeGrom's what, like 34, 35 already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a very yep. long contract. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've seen like the, the fan graphs analysis saying, you know, Texas is on the outer verges of the wild card race and maybe they're making a play to be better in the postseason. But 
who you're rolling the dice that he's even available at that point. He was barely available for the Mets this year and didn't work their way either. So uh, ooh, that's a lot of risk. Yeah. The worst thing for a baseball team to be is to be bad and expensive. You can handle being bad yeah. and cheap. You can handle being good and expensive, but being bad and expensive, that's uh, no owner really wants to have that be the case. And Texas is bringing that between this and their massive contracts they gave both Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon last year, they are yep. really bringing that possibility into the playing field yep, within a year or two here where they could be really bad and really expensive for quite a while. Um, and yeah, I, I, this, this ownership group in, in Texas also seems to be kind of, uh, a little bit on the, uh, um, on the hair Crazy. trigger as far yeah. as like they just got rid of John Daniels and John yeah. Daniels has been there forever and is widely respected. And so you just kind of wonder like what exactly is going on there with, uh, with all that I'm assuming oil money. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for them to pay Clayton Kershaw, like 35 million a year for four years or something like that. No. Well, Kershaw already um, signed back with the Dodgers. He did. He did. So that's well, still that'll come down the road. Like he's gonna yes, do that. It'll at come the down end. the road. Yes. Yeah. He'll be 40 and making $35 million for the Rams. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question this week before we wrap things up comes from Vinny Cornels on Twitter asking, uh, is it unrealistic to think of now getting, say, a Brandon Drury? to move Urias to second base and ease Terang into the mix. Uh, this is a name that kind of popped up before, but Paul, he was real bad in San Diego after that trade. What do you think? I, I don't think it's unrealistic. Uh, I think Brendan Drury is actually a very Brewer kind of player. He he played uh, like parts of four positions last year. He can kind of go all over the infield. They like guys like that. And he was absolutely brutal when he went from small park to big park. Um, but he has a profile that I think you can work with if you match him up right. Um, he is, I don't think, going to be that expensive. He's 20, he's entering his age 30 season. Uh, he actually strikes me as a very brewer player that, that uh, like, if they signed him, I would be like, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's totally on board. Which is not to say they'll do it, because there's probably several dozen players that fit that profile. Um, but I, I would say, in terms of looking at guys that they might still be in the market for, it's it's not a bad thought. I think that it's at least possible. I'd put it up there like ten plus percent. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely within the realm of possibility. I don't know if he fits their profile quite the way. Um, oh, actually, that reminds me, Jesse Winker is another below average strikeout guy. Uh, he's about five percent better than the league average, five percentage points, I should say, better than the league average in terms of strikeout rate, which surprised the hell out of me when I saw that. So, and that was after he had actually from 21 to 22 had gone up a little bit yeah. Um, in, in terms of strikeouts. So actually he was even better than that in 2021 when he had that career year. Um, just looking at Drury, that's not so bad. Like the, the strikeout, eh, the, the strikeout seemed to be, eh, eh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not ideal. You squint a lot. Take your glasses off and squint. Yeah. You know, and he also did bounce back with the Padres. He was 128 OPS plus with the uh, the Reds and then was 109. So he was still above average. It's just sure. the numbers really dropped off because going from the launching pad in Cincinnati to one of the friendliest pitchers parks is going to have a big uh, 
a big effect on your your numbers there. Yes, it is. Yeah. Plus, Padres fans were ordinary at that time because they got him, and then Tatis got suspended again, and he had to play a whole lot more. And yeah, it it was not ideal there. But and actually, know. we should note too, he was playing more first base than anything else when he got to yeah. San Diego. Yep. Um, and he had played both second base and third base in mm-hmm. Cincinnati before the trade, uh, though considerably more at third base. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you the flexibility here is the big thing, and they're going to be able to bounce guys around. I don't know if you would... If for the right dollar price, for the right contract, they'll, they'll take on most people because they have the flexibility to do that. I still just think that like their main target... And I mentioned this on Twitter today. Like... I think Christian Vasquez makes a lot of sense for them. If you can get him for the kind of deal that is being talked about on fan graphs, which would be like, uh, like two for 20, like that would be a a pretty good deal. Uh, So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Do you guys think that they make major, major signings this week or does do the Brewers make a major move uh, before I guess the winter meetings sort of, or before we podcast again? I was going to say, uh, if, if we say we take next week off, they definitely will. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just go with the, the Christmas Eve surprise. That's That'll be my that's, prediction. That's their MO too, right? Thanksgiving yep. week, Christmas week. So there you go. Yeah. I, they're definitely going to be making some moves. I think they're going to... Well, at this point, where would you guess the opening day payroll ends up? Are you over or under where they started last year, which was 133? I'm going to go under that. But not by much. I think they'll be close. So at least like in the 130 neighborhood. Like in the 130 yeah, I'd say neighborhood. 130s. 130 seems like a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still think that they better get over it or they're going to be a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth from people. Not that they make moves based on that, but like. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> they, no, I don't think they do. But for like our sanity and for our sake, it would be really nice for the discourse if they would just like spend some money now. That would be really nice. With any luck, Twitter will break before opening day and we won't have to see it. <laughs> it does seem to be heading in that direction. No. Uh, speaking of Twitter, if you want to send us qu- Twitter questions, uh, patrons obviously get question priority, but we also take those Twitter questions at MKE Tailgate. We send that request out for questions every week there with the Patreon link, but just respond to that with your question or you can uh, follow, tweet, at Ryan, at RD Top, Paul's at Badger Noonan, I'm at James L. Uh, so follow us there. And as I mentioned, patrons get that priority. They also get a shout out here when they sign up. So I mentioned Lucroy's suitcase, a new patron this week. But Ryan, who else do we have to give a shout out to? Um, we also have Logan Inderdahl. And uh, apparently I did say it right-ish or very close to it on the uh, on the minor league extra. So that was good. <laughs> there you nice. go. There you go. You got it. So thanks, guys, for, for yep. signing up. And... Uh, also a reminder, even if you're not a patron, you can support us another way. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review for this podcast. If you give us five stars, Paul will read literally anything you write. And hey, we, we've got a new five-star review to read. We do. Paul, new one from Wisco got? Legend, uh, who left us a nice five-star review. Great podcast. Uh, and really did go with the spirit here. So, uh, Best Brewers insight and good crew. Graham Mertz is my favorite quarterback. I love watching him play. <laughs> His decision-making is second to none. I hope the Badgers bring him back next year. 
He's in the portal, by the way. P.J. Yeah. Fleck is my favorite coach. I love the excitement and joy he brings to college football. I wish Wisconsin had a coach as great as him. We do now. Row, row, <laughs> row, 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 row the boat. Ski you, ma. We Thanks. should mention this. This was so sent, what, like the 26th of November? November 26th, yeah. We think we lost it in the the Thanksgiving uh, turmoil, especially that I personally suffered. So, But, uh, yep, <laughs> five-star reviews always welcome if anybody could bump that one it would be appreciated <laughs> and yeah graham mertz transferring uh not a lot my dad was very excited said uh luke fickle was worth it just for that so <laughs> um i hope he enjoys going back to kansas or missouri or wherever else he wants to go because yep. yeah graham mertz in the sec at missouri that'd be fun to see for the, uh, but for the rest of the SEC. For the rest would. of us? Yeah, no. But no, seriously. Uh, good luck to Graham Mertz. Didn't work out here. And will be very interesting to see uh, what, what the hell the Badgers do at quarterback now. Because uh, they're playing in a bowl game without a, a coach on the sidelines and like one quarterback in the room. So maybe oh, yeah. Isaac Garendo triple option time. I'd be done with that. I would totally be down with that. That would be awesome. Bulls don't mean anything. Just get weird. Paul, run that run that offense you talked about. They the, should the run the lateral offense. <laughs> they should run the, the second level option. That is what they should do. It would, um, by the way, uh, I think it was the Chargers today. Mm-hmm. I saw it, Paul. Um, I instantly thought uh, of you. <laughs> they, they ran just a beautiful hook and ladder to get into range where they could have thrown a Hail Mary or another hook and ladder. Um, like They used Austin Eckler properly. It, they got to the sideline. It was not defensed well. Like They should have done it again. It worked so well the first time. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's there. Like guys know how to pitch. Guys can catch pitches. Do it. Make it happen. When NCAA football comes back on PlayStation, I'm going to design an entire playbook just Heck outside yeah. of hook and laterals and have fun with that. I, I have All right. plays. I have plays. I can tell you what they should be. Like. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> exactly. Run them exactly. on a pro set. Run them on a pony. Have the running backs basically be the option behind the play every time. It's great. Chip the chip the end. Uh, head out into the flats. Track the receiver, run behind him, make the safety crashing down, have to make a decision. It, it works just like the regular triple option. I'm just saying the Packers have a bye week. Matt has plenty of time to install this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for the questions, everybody. Uh, reminder there, uh, while you're there on Apple Podcasts, please hit that subscribe button. Tell people about the podcast. Uh Subscribe on Spotify too. Make it into your Spotify wrap next year. Uh, we appreciate that as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, as as we've kind of done in in the off season, we'll kind of see what happens here. If there's something to talk about, we'll be back. Uh, if not, we'll be back in a couple of weeks here. Hope you guys have a good uh, time in the meantime as we approach the holiday season. And fingers crossed for some big Brewers news. Uh, we'll see you here next time on the Watch. Okay.